This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to this edition of The Bounce Show. It is the final Bounce Show for September. It's been a fantastic month, and I've really enjoyed bringing you the, most of the sporting highlights over it, and of course, throwing in a few interviews with that. Today, we are going to take a knee for what's going on in sport. Yep. You know, it's one thing I hate more than talking about race and sports. And that's kind of when people don't quite get a lot of things. Like, I know we talk about race quite a lot because, you know, in South Africa, it's a big issue. It's never going away. But this week, with all the Trump stuff, all the sort of race issues that are happening in America right now, and the fact that it's just dominating so many conversations, I thought, well, I can't neglect that. I've got to have something about this. and I've got to add some perspective to it because I think all too often, we we all play part of our agendas. We all have a say. We all have something that we've got ingrained in our minds. But the only way we're ever going to move forward and ever actually really just get along and get over petty shit is if we actually talk more. So I found some clips that I want to play for you this week, and I found some things I think we should just share and just kind of address. And uh, with that, you know, solutions come from talking. Solutions come from having conversations. Discourse, I think, is the word that gets thrown around quite a lot. So we're going to get into that this week. We've also got Ben Stokes punching guys in the street. I, you know, when this story first broke, I thought it was similar to that Joe Root getting slapped by the Aussies. Um, I don't think it was too much. But then today, hot, hot news is the videos emerged of Ben Stokes really just getting stuck into some guys. And it's kind of bad because it's not like it was self-defense. It's not like, you know, he was in any sort of danger. You can see he's been drinking and he just went after these guys. So it looks really, really bad. It almost looks as bad as the English squad that they're actually taking to the ashes. So we'll touch on all of that. Speaking of cricket, the Proteas are back in action this week. They're going to be in Potchefstroom, which is the place to international listeners that you'll never go to or probably hear about ever again after this match. So that is something to talk about. So obviously, the DRS changes are pretty much the biggest highlights of that test match. There's a couple of things that are coming out of that. So we'll delve into that. Champions League last night, or this whole week, actually. All the big teams doing particularly well. Liverpool obviously just having more disappointment. Rugby Championships is back, so we're going to touch on that as well. The big chance for the box to redeem themselves and sort of, you know, make light. Well, not make light. Follow through on the different cliches that have been thrown around by Alice Goodseer and his staff. It is the British Masters in Golf this week, which is a big thing for the European Tour. But obviously much bigger than that, it is the President's Cup, which is the American team versus the rest of the world outside of Europe. So it is something that is, uh, I'm, I'm obviously very excited about, but then if Trump goes to it, then it's going to be more issues. There'll be more issues around all these different things I started the show with around his take on disrespecting the flag. He, him disrespecting the nation. So maybe I'm just going to kind of book in these two points together, finish off with the golf and, and, uh, throw some sport in between that. But like I said, we're going to put a little bit of emphasis today on what's happening in America right now with people kneeling during the anthem. It's been going on for quite some time, but I think now it's become a real widespread thing. You'll see a lot of black players in the NFL that have been doing it. It could spread even further. Who knows? I mean, there's so many levels to the story, but a lot of people who are either hating it, like Donald Trump, who say this is absolute bullshit, people must respect it. Then on the other side of the coin, where I think a lot of more people kind of fit, I'm not going to give you my stance just yet. I think we should listen to these clips that I've got for you. And then let's talk about it a little bit more. First up, Trevor Noah. We all know Trevor Noah. And then Greg Popovich is another guy that I've played some stuff on before. Uh, just some some views I think we should address before we get into this. Donald Trump's beef with the NFL has left a lot of people with a lot of questions. But the question that has come up for me once again is, 
when is the right time for black people to protest? Everyone has a different answer. Uh, For me, it's uh, right before lunch, because (laughs) that's when I'm hangry, right? (laughs) And after lunch, I get the itis. I'm not effective. Uh, But if you want to know when black people should protest, you've got to go right to the source. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. I think what the president is saying is that the owner should have a rule that players should have to stand in respect for the national anthem. This isn't about Democrats. It's not about Republicans. It's not about race. It's not about free speech. They can do free speech on their own time. Is it not about their First Amendment rights? No, it's not. They, they have the right to have their First Amendment off the field. It's, uh, it's, it's a little weird getting free speech advice from a guy who doesn't speak freely. <laughs> My words are trapped in a prison of teeth. But okay, fine. I hear what Mnuchin is saying. He's not against the players protesting. He just doesn't like it when they do it on the field. You know, when everyone's watching. Yeah, do it somewhere else. Can you imagine Mnuchin giving that advice to Rosa Parks? He would just be like, hey, Rosa, why are you protesting on the bus, huh? People have places to be. Take the bus to your house, sit down on your couch, and protest from home. Boom, racism solved. It's solved. And you know what? And you know what? So uh, the the Trump administration is okay with protesting, right? They're okay. As long as uh, it's on your own time. Unless you're ESPN commentator Jamel Hill criticizing the president on your private Twitter feed. Then that's a fireable offense, too, right? Uh, Although I do understand where Trump is coming from because Twitter is his workplace, so it's a a different thing. (laughs) But I get it, I get it. You you do it not in public. Uh, Here's another example over the weekend. Stevie Wonder took a knee on his own time in his own show. And even then, even then, a former Republican congressman tweeted, Stevie Wonder takes a knee for the anthem during a concert. Another ungrateful black multimillionaire. Ungrateful to whom? I'm fascinated by that concept. People always say, ungrateful to whom? This idea that black people should be grateful is some sneaky-ass racism. Yeah, because when a white billionaire spends a year screaming that America is a disaster, he's in touch with the country. But when a black man kneels quietly, he should be grateful for the successes America has allowed him to have? How is that ungrateful? I don't understand. You know what would be ungrateful? What would be ungrateful is if Stevie Wonder got his sight back and then started complaining about colors. That would be ungrateful. (laughs) If he was like, hey man. If he was just like, hey man, what the is up with pink? That's a garbage ass color. Be like, all right, Stevie, you're being ungrateful, Stevie. You're being ungrateful. Yeah, it, it, it almost feels like white people earn the money, but black people are given it. They play a game for a living. They make millions of dollars. They're ungrateful millennial millionaires who won't stand for their own anthem. I wish some of these players who get on one knee during the national anthem would get on both knees. And thank God they live in the United States of America. Where they're not only free to earn millions of dollars every year, but they're also free from the worry of being shot in the head for taking a knee like they would be if they were in North Korea. Okay, wait, wait. You, you think black Americans are free from the worry of being shot by agents of the state? That's the whole thing that they're protesting in the first place. That's exactly what they're protesting. In fact, in fact, if black Americans went to North Korea, they wouldn't get shot just for being black. Just ask Ambassador Dennis Rodman. It wouldn't happen. So, 
So again, when is the right time to protest? Well, according to Trump's press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, it's not the when that's a problem, it's the how that black people are getting wrong. I think if this is the debate is really for them about police brutality, they should probably protest the officers on the field that are protecting them instead of the American flag. Oh, I see. Oh, don't protest the flag. Protest the police officers that are on the field. So if you do that, then no one will complain. Can you just clarify that? Were you saying that, are you encouraging NFL players to protest police? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I was kind of pointing out the hypocrisy. Oh, wait, you were just being sarcastic. Well, that's a great use of the White House. Nicely done, nicely done. Yeah, but you see, you still haven't told us the right way for black people to protest. Uh, I mean, we know it's wrong to do it in the streets. It's wrong to do it in the tweets. You cannot do it on the field. You cannot do it if you've kneeled. And don't do it if you're rich, you ungrateful son of a bitch. Because there's one thing that's a fact. You cannot protest if you're black. That's some pretty powerful stuff from Trevor Noah. I think he hits the nail on the head with quite a few of those things. Uh, the next guy I'm going to play is Greg Popovich. So you might have heard him on the show before where he offers maybe two, three words. So if someone were to say, so Greg, your team's down at halftime. What are you going to do more of the second half? Then he would look at the person in the eye and just go, score more goals or get more points. Like he's very dry. He's very like short of people. So he had this to say on the whole thing around racism, on Trump supporters, and of course the whole issue around the nation being divided and the kneeling of the flag. Kneeling, sorry, the the kneeling in front of the flag or the kneeling during the anthem thing. You get the point. You know, we saw it this weekend with his comments about people that should be fired or people that shouldn't be uh, allowed to do this sort of thing. I, I wonder what the people think about who voted for him, uh, where their line is, how much they can take. I just heard a comment this morning from a, a NASCAR owner uh, and from Mr. Petty that just blew me away. Just blew me away, where the owner described the fact that he would get the Greyhound bus tickets for anybody to leave and they'd be fired. And Mr. Petty, who said people who... Uh, act the way uh, we saw on Sunday, they should leave the country. That's where I live. I had no idea that I lived in a country where people would actually say that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not totally naive, but I think these people have been enabled by an example that we've all been given. Our country's an embarrassment in the world. Uh, this is this is an individual actually thought that when people held arms during the games that they were doing it to honor the flag. That's delusional. Absolutely delusional. But it's what we have to live with. So you got a choice. Uh, we can continue to bounce our heads off the wall with his conduct or We can decide that the institutions of our country are more important, that people are more important, uh, that the decent America that we all thought we had and want is more important, and get down to business at the grassroots level and do what we have to do. Obviously, you know, race is the elephant in the room, and we we all understand that. But uh, unless it is talked about constantly, it's not going to get better. People get bored. Oh, is it that again? 
they pull in the race card again. Why do we have to talk about that? Well, because it's uncomfortable. And there has to be an uncomfortable element in the discourse for anything to change. You know, whether it's the LGBT movement or, you know, uh, women's suffrage, uh, race, it doesn't matter. Uh, people have to be made to feel uncomfortable, and especially white people, because we're comfortable. We still have no clue of what being born white means. And if, if you read some of the, you know, uh, recent literature, you'll realize it really is no such thing as whiteness. Uh, but we've kind of made it up. Uh, that's not uh, my original thought, but it's true. And <laughs> it, 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 it's hard to sit down and, and decide that, yes, it, it's like you're at the 50, you know, the 50-meter mark in a 100-meter dash. Uh, and you got that kind of a lead. Yes, because you were born white, you have advantages that are systemically, uh, culturally, psychologically there. And they've been built up and cemented for hundreds of years. But many people can't look at it. It's, it's too difficult. Uh, it, it can't be something that is on their plate on a daily basis. Uh, people want to hold their position. People want the status quo. People don't want to give that up. And until it's given up, it's not going to be fixed. So two very interesting standpoints. If you look at Trevor Noah, of course, more from a comedic background, and that is for an entertainment show. And a good guy like Greg Popovich, who's just talking rather frankly. Now, he is involved in the sports. He's involved with athletes who are wanting to take a stand and in the eyes of, of many in the sort of Trump camp, disrespecting the, the good country of America. Look, I mean, this is one of those things, as, as Greg was saying, you know, these conversations have to be had because it's uncomfortable and we need to get to a point of parity in life, you know, whether it be race or economics, whatever it is, a general understanding. But of course, there's always two, there's two sides to that. And another reason why I want to bring this up today is that obviously America is a much older country than South Africa. You know, we think we've got some amazing issues here and we think it's just, we are obsessed with our issues in this country, but they're not that, that unique. They're all over the world. People suffer from the same things because humans are ultimately quite basic. We all think we're amazing. We all think we're better than someone else. And I suppose the easiest way of defining that is that white people have felt that they're superior to black people for whatever the reason that they've held beliefs or for whatever reason that they've acted in this way. This is history. This is not something that just happened recently. This is history, okay? Now, this, like I said, there's always two ways to it. I don't want to get to the point where I'm going to ramble on about this for the next 10 minutes. I think everything that's going to be serious, I should always have a guest to engage with. But listen to these, 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 these clips and take into consideration that America may be more advanced in their problems. So when I look in South Africa as a white person, um, and you know, like my beliefs around developments and around, um, you know, getting different sort of demographics and sports, you know, I'm very supportive of these things when done properly because this will only benefit all of us. And I'm, I've always been a proud advocate of that and I've always spoken for it. But I think a lot of the time it becomes really petty and it becomes a big victim game. Whereas what's happening in America, I think it's being articulated a little bit better. You know, there's the police brutality has been tremendous. It really has been. So not tremendous. Um, what's the word? extensive now you'll get people from trump's camp saying yeah but you know last year twenty thousand black people died at the result of other black people killing them and only 117 died through police uh, police brutality 
it's, I mean, these numbers will be thrown around as spin and to distract. There's a lot of police brutality that has gone on there. And obviously the police have their different side of the story. Anyway, that's not the issue here. The issue is here that these guys are protesting against the fact that there has been racial violence. Okay. So that's their thing. They're using big, big moments like this to get their voices across and get their actions seen. The whole thing about this not being a great place to protest or when can black people protest that Trevor Noah so rightly brought up. Well, anytime. This is the whole thing. We are free to do as we wish in this in this world, but it's how we do it that people need to take a lot of pride and effort around. Just being blanket racist about anything or just being ignorant towards points in social media, that's not that is just not it. So I'm I'm so thankful that these things are happening and people are bringing them to the public eye because we can all learn so much from it. And sports you know, it is the most important thing in the world in many, many ways, I believe. It gives people joy. It gives people hope. It gives people purpose. You're not going to find what sport brings you in other fields, definitely not in politics, which has become a thieves' haven for many, many things. Anyway, I don't want to get too heavy into this. I just really wanted you to hear those clips because I think in particular what Greg was talking about, it just opens up the fact that white people have been very comfortable and I'm not saying I'm not going to be one of those virtue signaling people who are like, yeah, white people are, are the problem. Far from it. I think any sort of generalizations is is very, very dangerous and it's stupid at the best of times because it lacks um, provocative or just proactive thought to say, oh, well, these people are this or those people are that. These are just horrible things that have been passed down through generations that don't require any independent or responsible thought. So any generalization I'm against. But to see what he said about white people being very comfortable and they are therefore uncomfortable about talking about these kind of things, that to me really hits home because the thing about like, oh, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, unfortunately, they can. Whether you don't like it or not, black people can protest wherever they want. So that's kind of how I wanted to start the show today. Uh, maybe I'm not making much sense, but I just think, again, it's about having difficult conversations and we can't... Another point of what um, Greg Popovich was saying is that the status quo is a very dangerous thing in the world. We've always got to evolve. We've always got to do what's best for all of us. And it's just... We need to speak about it. We need to find solutions. There is no answer, but there is things that are bad and general prejudice, general pig-headedness and all that kind of stuff we all know that's bad and we can all agree on that. So it'd be interesting to see how this all develops. And again, if it's what's going to happen in South Africa towards these things, you get people who are very against transformation. You get people who are very much against development of different sort of races and backgrounds. I think a lot of people just want to see sporting teams win. But then you get those who, no matter what happens, there's always this this tired old narrative that, oh, the box are crap because they've got to play black players who aren't good enough. Well, I mean, I've got to say, after watching the box lose 57-0 to the All Blacks, there are a couple of white players who also weren't exactly great. So all the generalizations are very, very dangerous. What we all need to do is kind of reset how we look at these things, evaluate things, read some stuff, see both sides, and if nothing else, just engage with someone who you don't agree with. We all sit in these echo chambers where we can sit and drink and watch sports and have the same views and everyone's going to agree with you. Or we can engage with people and say, well, why do you think that? Or why, this, why is this wrong? Or why is that right in your mind? We'll learn so much and it'll be really, really beneficial for all of us going forward. Okay, I don't do the soft moral stuff very well. So let's get onto some actual what is really happening for right now in sports uh, playing-wise. And, um, well, we can't even get there just yet because we've got to talk Ben Stokes and fighting. Fight Club Bristol. 
So, wow, I don't know where to start with this story because it's kind of not completely unexpected. I mean, if you know Ben Stokes, if you've seen him, he's a very fiery individual. Some say it's because he's a ginger. Some say it's because he's from New Zealand. Whatever may be the, um, the case, this guy's a bit of a hothead and discipline has been a bit of an issue. So early hours of, I think it would have been Monday morning. So he obviously went out on the piss on the Sunday night. And he got quite stuck in. And then he kind of broke a finger. The police detained him. He was arrested without charge. That is what we know. But now, this um, if you go into the balance.ca.za and you see this week's sports letter, which is a weekly thing, of course I do, you'll actually see the video of Ben Stokes fighting in the streets here. And it doesn't look good. And when I say it doesn't look good, I'm not saying that from the point of, I don't, I mean, violence, violence is violence. But it doesn't look good for Ben Stokes, who is England's vice-captain. So the clip itself, there's a lot of stuff that's bleeped out. But Ben Stokes attacking these guys. I imagine his friends are pulling him off these guys, but he's pushing them away so he can then carry on fighting these other dudes, of which they don't look like they're posing much of a threat at all. Much like Stokes, they look to be pretty drunk. They're not moving too well. Stokes is just swinging all over the place. I mean, he's not connecting with anything. Everyone's telling him to calm down. Everyone's saying, Ben, that's enough. That's enough. And he carries on with these guys. He's he's not very good at fighting. I must add that. <laughs> of course, that's not important here. So at this stage, people are saying, well, the word alleged is always coming through. And I always hate that when there's evidence that's pretty bloody obvious. I mean, there's only one person who is this guy who's fighting. It is Ben Stokes but it's always alleged, and we're going to probe it and investigate this. I think the English and Welsh and whatever other country cricket board that they're named after, they know that their star player is in big, big, big trouble here. So he has been included in the squad. He has broken his pinky finger, which means he'll be out of action for a while. Uh, so he probably won't even make the Ashes warm-up matches. So they're going to get to Australia. His hand's still not going to be 100%. It is his right hand, of course, which is his bowling hand. And, uh, sure... This is such a, such a mess. England have ways of just always creating a big, big mess. And like I've always said, they are just the gift that keeps on giving on the entertainment front. Just a look at the squad that England has chosen. They've gone with Joe Root as the captain, obviously. Then we've got Alistair Cook. And then, well, you can try pick the batsmen out here who are actually worthy of this level. Mokes, Mark Stoneman, David Milan, James Vince, Gary Balance. <laughs> Seriously, Gary Balance is in the squad. <laughs> Then we got Johnny Besto, who's going to be the wicketkeeper. He's a good tried and tested performer. Then we got Ben Folks, who is the backup wicketkeeper. Of course, Ben Stokes and Chris Wokes. <laughs> Even these names sound like this. I'm actually pulling the piss here. Uh, Moen Ali, who's become a really good player. Stuart Broad and James Anderson, obviously they speak for themselves. Then we got Jake Ball, who's a handy seamer. There's no Toby Roland Jones. He's got a stress factor in his back. So Jake Ball... Craig Overton and Mason Crane, who is the inexperienced wrist spinner. Now you look at that squad and you go, okay, they've just beaten the Proteas in England. That was a good win. They sort of just did okay. No, they did, didn't do well at all against West Indies, actually. They really didn't. Uh, they lost the test match to West Indies. West Indies don't even know what test cricket is anymore. Uh, so this squad now has to go to Australia. Now you can say what you want about the Aussies. And of course, they don't like picking their best team. It's just something they don't do for some strange reason. But at home, an Ashes summer, five test matches, this team is going to be absolutely pulled to pieces. 
pull to pieces. It's going to be, it's going to be messy. It's going to be absolutely messy. But that's not just my theory. Here's an English guy. Well, sorry, an Aussie guy who feels kind of the same way. Sounds not going to be too great on this. So bear with me. I grew up watching Colin Cowdery, Ted Dexter, Jeff Boycott. They were very good players. Joe Root's a good player, but there aren't many others. Alistair Cook's probably passed his, his best, although he made a brilliant circumnavigation of Australia with over 800 runs a few tours ago. Where's the rest of the batting? It's underwhelming. And this is the greatest list of perhapses I think that England have ever sent to Australia. And I fear for Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. They could be bowling a lot of overs if they don't get away with the new ball into the Australian top order. And Ben Stokes, yes, fine all-rounder. He'll have to be throwing his bat at the ball and doing it brilliantly to keep this side together. The result of the series? Sorry, folks. Australia 5, England 0. Well, that's not too hard to imagine, although my mate Dennis, who you know has been on the show for quite some time, he says that Australia are going to win the five-test series 6-0. Oh, England. But you are your own worst nightmare. You always have been. That is November. We look forward to I think November 21st will be the first test match there. Which then brings us to the Rugby Championships. Well, we can talk about the Proteas. Basically, they're playing Bangladesh. They're not going to be underestimated. They're going to try their best and really want to get back after a very tough tour. And we've heard all the crap in the press. Uh, the DRS change, uh, that's going to be one thing to look out for. So if you review and it goes down to umpire's call and the batsman remains, you get to keep your call. So I'm happy about this because often, you know, it's been really good reviews. And technically speaking, it could be out. And uh, umpire's call has basically said it's not out. You should not have to lose a review. It's as simple as that. And that is what's going to now happen. And this will be the first test match where this does happen. Another thing to look out for is that after 80 overs, normally your reviews get reset. So people just have a cheeky review about anything. Well, your reviews will not be reset. That's it. You've got it. And they will last for ever long that you're going to bowl. And then bat size. You can't have bats of a bigger of a bigger size than what's currently been thrown out there. Um, so that's also kind of, a, I guess, a positive. There's some bats are just so amazing that nowadays you can swing at pretty much anything and the ball will travel. So that's been taken away. Proteus will play today, so Thursday, and that will take place, uh, I think, around sort of, well, while you're listening to this, if you're listening live. In football last night, the Champions League, that was, well, as exciting as ever. You know, the stage of the Champions League is always pretty high-scoring matches because you've got the sort of lesser teams, the ones that have kind of squeaked in by being, well, you know, the ones that finish high enough to get there, or they're just really good teams from really poor countries. So Juventus, back to winning ways, they had a bit of a bad loss last week. They got taken to pieces by PSG, uh, sorry, by Barcelona. Uh, this week round, 2-0 of Olympiacos. Barcelona did win, uh, very kind of fortuitous way, I guess. They drew, sorry, they won one nil over Sporting. PSG, though, this is a big story for the year. Is how are these guys going to react now that with the star power of Neymar in the team, they've got some other really good players, but will it translate to goals and success? Well, the early answer is it definitely looks like it. They beat Bayern Munich last night, three zero, huge result there. Another big result this time for Chelsea. They beat Atletico Madrid 2-1 away. So Griezmann opened up the scoring after getting a penalty in. But then Chelsea, they hit back in the 59th minute. And then in the 94th, they managed to get the winner. So massive result there for Chelsea, who won 6-0 last week. 
Basel won 5-0 over Benfica. Man United, they just keep scoring no matter where they're playing. They played CSKA Moscow and they hammered them 4-1. And that was in Russia itself. Lukaku again with two goals. Celtic even won last night by a hefty margin. They beat Anderlecht 3-0. Roma beat Karabag. And, um, well... Earlier in the week, Spurs, they went to Cyprus and they beat Apul 3-0. Harry Kane with a hat-trick. Napoli with a good win. Liverpool, they drew so many different chances against Spartak Moscow and, uh, well, they didn't quite take them. Sevilla, they won 3-0. Porto hammered Monaco 3-0. And the Real Madrid also scoring three with Ronaldo twice in the score sheet. Bale the other. They beat Borussia Dortmund 3-1. Another team that's doing so well right now, the free-scoring Man City. They won against Shakhtar Donetsk 2-0. So no real surprises. And uh, with that, obviously, all the big Arsenal jokes, whether they were last night or the night before, on who they're playing this week. They never get old for people who aren't Arsenal fans, I guess. Arsenal will be playing the Europa League soon, to which nobody really, really cares at all. That's your kind of football. Locally, we, uh well, everyone's talking about Champions League this week. We'll get into more local stuff next week. We need to talk golf. Or should we talk rugby first? Ah, let's go with rugby first. I need to take a deep breath for this, as always. Alistair Garcia started the week by saying Totsins to three players. That was Dan Dupria, who well, I think should be there. You know, he's combined so well with his brother, uh, Jean-Luc for the Sharks and the Loose Trio. He's a good eighth man. He's capable. And, uh, well, you know, you can say what you want about Kasim being a trier and being a good flank. I don't think he's an international eighth man, but we all know that. Let's not push on around it. But, uh, Spoon Corsi, he was thrown into the, into the box squad as well. The very talented and high try scoring wing from the Sharks went in and he went straight out. Well, Raymond Rule, he's also gone. So after copying so much criticism for the, his lack of ability in defense and, well, all-round player, I and mean, he hasn't really kicked on at this level. He's been given a fair few chances. Some might say also a little bit unfair that he is like the scapegoat because Courtney Oscar's son didn't just not make a tackle. He wasn't involved in a single tackle when the All Blacks won 57-0 against the box. But those are the three players that were discarded, which then makes you speculate on, well, what's happening with the back three? Uh, Franco Smith and the rest of the box staff have been tiring or just doing whatever they can to justify the fact that the back three is a work in progress and you know you can't hold them to account for this and that and they talk a whole bunch of bullshit about catching balls seriously he was on one press conference he said you can't criticize a guy for dropping a ball which then leads to a team's try the opposition's team try when he caught three balls earlier in different fields of play. Now, that just sounds like a whole bunch of bullshit. I mean, if you were to say to me, Ben, I need you to talk on your podcast every day for the next five days, but then I want you to also go and talk in front of a million people, um, open air audience. Okay, can you do that? And I absolutely, completely screw up the talk in front of a million people. But then they go, whoa, 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 hang on a second. You were so good in your podcast for five days by yourself in a small studio. So therefore, you're cool with me. These guys have got to be able to step up. We all know they can do certain things at Curry Cup level, Super Rugby level. But when you're playing against the All Blacks, I don't care if it's your first time or whatever. These guys need to be held accountable to do better when it actually matters. Because... Nobody cares what the box do in practice. Nobody cares what they do at home against France. They do care about what happens in the rugby championship when the All Blacks are just running in tries for fun. People care about that, Franka Smith. I don't know if you've known this, but maybe if you and your staff spent more time on social media, which Alex Garcia has already said he doesn't care about, 
maybe these things would be a little bit more obvious. Anyway, I'm not here to shit talk this team. I'm here to support it because I am South African. Therefore, I am a Springbok fan. But they are taking on the Aussies this week, which obviously is a much easier match. And uh, today is South African time, Thursday at 2 p.m., which is obviously after I've recorded this. As you can see, we'll be naming his team. So essentially, Ross Cunier comes back. That's an easy thing to kind of work out. Um, and then Dylan Lade. Well, he looks to be the guy who's going to be included in the back line at the expense of Rule. I believe his best position is fullback. That's where he's currently playing for Western Province and put a lot of time in for the Stormers. But obviously, he did play a lot of time at wing. Look, the guy's a decent outside back. He's talented. I still don't think he's the best choice for the green and gold, but he's definitely better than what's currently there. So he's going to come into the mix. But for more about what's happening this week, let's cross over to the very enthusiastic and always very animated views of Mark Keohan. Mark is a guy that I know personally, and although he has many critics, I always got to appreciate the fact he always puts cock on block, and he's a guy whose views I always enjoy. don't always agree with, but I always enjoy his views. So this is what he said about this week's game against the Wallabies in Bloom. The last time I stood here, I was confident that the Springboks would run the All Blacks close. We know what happened in Albany. It was awful. We got naught. They got 57. Thank God it's the Wallabies in Bloemfontein and not the All Blacks. 23 all the last time we played the Wallabies in Perth in South Africa. We beat them last year and we've beaten them four out of the last five times we played them in South Africa. There's been less than 10 points that they've scored. And they've only averaged one try. I think they'll do a bit better this time in Bloemfontein. But I still think the box will win. I would have changed the team from Albany. I would have made six or seven changes. I think Alistair Kutsia is only going to make three. We know that Adelaide will come in on the win. The new halfback in Ross Grenier fit again. And Francois Lowe will come in in the loose forwards. I would have made six or seven changes. Halfbacks I would have changed. Back three I would have changed. And the back row combination, it's still not working for me. But regardless of South Africa pick... To play against the Wallabies in South Africa, it's usually South Africa that wins. No different in Bloemfontein. I don't think it's going to be a game like last time in Bloemfontein. 38-6 at that stage to Australia. Then an incredible comeback from the Springboks. 39-38 and right on the 80th minute, Kirtley Beale kicked a penalty. 41-38. The Wallabies, they've only ever won three times in the history at the High Felt. Bloemfontein, they'll say they got it there last time. They won't get it there this time. The box to win, but it doesn't erase the memory of Albany. No, it does not, Mark. It does not erase that at all. But I also believe the box will win in Bloom. It is not, it's been a great season so far as far as, well, comparing it to 2016. I think from here on in, we're going to see what kind of a season it really is. As far as actually, maybe the box aren't completely shit. Let's try get that into our minds rather than going, oh, but they're better than 2016. We must look at this team as not being crap, and they must actually, like, step up now. Um, yeah, I also would have made about six or seven changes, but Francois Lowe coming back is going to add some solidity to it. How he combines with Sio Colisi, obviously, uh, Francois Lowe is an open-side flanker. He is someone who's more technically gifted towards playing to the ball. Sio Colisi has been given that role of the number six jersey, number seven for the rest of the world. I don't know why that's different. So, look, the loose trio is not working. Every great team has a loose trio that works as a trio. That's all it is. And an eighth man is so vital to that. The fact that our eighth man is a decent flank from the free states, yeah, it's not good. It's not good, but let's not crap on about that. Let's touch on a little bit about the British and Irish Lions. When they come to South Africa, they want to play less matches. So, shock, horror, 
They don't think that teams are going to be as competitive as it could be, so therefore why have such a long tour? Can't fault that, can you? But there's obviously a lot of pressure from their clubs. They don't want their players gone for so long. So everyone knows that this club versus country debate has always kind of had a big problem in football. Uh, everyone now knows the club always wins. And in rugby, it's becoming out of the same thing, really. But all the money's in the clubs. So these guys who are in the Aviva Premiership or whatever it is that a lot of these guys come from, they don't want their teams who play so much, pay so much money for their services. They don't want dicking around in South Africa for two months or three months, whatever it is. So some of the games, I believe, aren't worth their while anymore. Back in the day of these Lions tours being the absolute best. Well, that was like the New Zealand tour was good, but back in the day of being absolute best is that they always played the strongest possible team. So if you were a great player from the Western Province, you played against the Lions as Western Province, and you also played against them in the test matches. Now you'll find the best players in the Western Province will be rested so that they can obviously prepare for the Bok duties. So they're playing against provincial teams that are very much second string. Um, even with their best players, there wouldn't be a match for a team like the Lions. And only New Zealand can really pull off these provincial games meeting anything. So... Some people are very upset about this um, from an economic perspective. Obviously, the longer the Lions tour is, the more money that comes into this country. Always a good thing. But I can kind of see where these guys are going with that. So, yeah, it's something to say a slap in the face. It's not doing this whole Lions tour any any justice. But we all got to move on, people. We've got to move on. On to the golf and the final part of the show today. It is the President's Cup. Hugely excited about this. It is taking place at um, Liberty National, which used to be like an old swamp uh, slash waste area. A dreadful kind of place. Really, really terrible. But with beautiful sweeping views of the Manhattan skyline and, of course, Lady Liberty herself, the Statue of Liberty. Someone believed it would be a great place for a golf club. That someone was the ex-CEO of Reebok, who paid $250 million to make this golf course. For many, it was $250 million too much, and they don't believe it's a great golf course. When there was a FedEx Cup playoff event there, I think it was the Barclays back in uh, I think 2009? Well, anyway, a while ago, back when Tiger was still playing. Um, they believe that the, the, the course was just too gimmicky, the greens were too severe, uh, it just wasn't, it just wasn't a good golf course. So they had a lot of complaints from the players. Match play formats, President's Cup. I think it's going to be very nice and fun and, uh, people will take it for what it is and it's going to be very exciting. So it's going to be exciting in that, well, we've still got some great matchups. I know it's not the president, it's not the, the Ryder Cup where you got the best players in the world really are fantastic. The matchups. Just look at this for day one though. This is pretty decent. First matchup, so it's South African time Thursday, uh, 5 past 7, this is in the evening. We've got Ricky Fowler first up with Justin Thomas, two good mates, two great golfers, especially Thomas right now. Of course, he is the greatest golfer when you look at money earned in this, this, this calendar year. They'll take on Hideki Matsuyama and Charles Watzel. Now, match two, which will be quarter past seven South African time Thursday night, Dustin Johnson and Match Kucha will combine to take on Adam Scott and Jonathan Vegas. Match three will be after that. All these matches are 12 minutes apart. So Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed, the Ryder Cup dream team, will take on Kim, Siwoo Kim. They always put these names in different orders. Siwoo Kim, or Kim Siwoo, if you like. And Emiliana Grillo, that'll be the international pairing. Brooks Kepka and Daniel Berger will be taking on Louis Ostasen and Brandon Grace, who were, of course, undefeated uh, during their time in South Korea when it was played last time out. And then Kevin Kistner and Phil Mickelson. They'll be taking on Jason Day and Mark Leishman. 
So it's going to be kind of be a bit one-sided, this thing. We kind of get that, but it's still going to be hugely exciting, and I still completely recommend anyone watching that to commit. So it's on the East Coast of America, so the timing won't be so bad, and uh, it's going to be a great event. Will Donald Trump be there? Well, it's the President's Cup. He's President of America. He loves golf. There's a very good chance that he will make it, although he hasn't planned on doing so. His team have been there to scout out for security things. Of course, wherever Donald goes, everything comes to a complete understandstill, and he basically he ruins any error he's in. If he goes, I think it will overshadow the event, which is not be a good thing. I think this President's Cup right now, it needs to have a good of playing. People believe that there's no point doing it because America always wins. And even though some of the score lines have been quite flattering towards the international team, it's only ever really been about America. So what this tournament needs, what this event needs, is just no frills, no mess, just good golf and a good contest and hopefully an international win. If Trump gets there, well then we've got the politics, then we've got the race issues you spoke about earlier in the in the in the show. It would be a shame. In other news from the golfing world, it is the British Masters. So all of Europe's big names are going to be playing in England right this weekend. Interesting story from that. So, um, this guy, uh, big Sergio Garcia fan. Apparently he tweeted Sergio for an entire year. Um, I think the number was something like 207 times asking him, Sergio, please, 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 can I caddy for you? Uh, obviously he meant kind of in a pram kind of setting. Sorry, he sent a tweet to Sergio every single day for 206 days. 206 days. Now, next week I want to, or in, in, in forthcoming future weeks, I want to talk about being blocked on Twitter. I was going through people who have blocked me and wondering why they've blocked me. Uh, it's not like an obsession I have. I don't really care because it's only Twitter. It's not really like that important. But um, people, particularly celebrities, block people very easily, very quickly. So can you imagine someone tweeted you the exact same thing for 206 days? Look, when you're a big star like Sergio, you're not going to see a lot of the stuff that comes over your feed. But 206 days, this dude tweeted. Mark Johnson's his name. He's an English mailman. It's always something like a mailman who does this, right? English mailman from Peterborough tweeted Sergio 206 days in a row. Please can I caddy for you? And uh, eventually Sergio's like, cool, British masters. You can come caddy for me in the pro-am. I would love to know what the line was, though, between Sergio blocking this guy or calling the cops, because basically this is stalking. This is a complete other stalking. But good on Sergio. He's not such a do after all. And this guy had the time of his life. He brought his family along. They all got to meet Sergio, and he had a really, really great day. If you didn't if you didn't see any of that, European tour on whether it's Twitter, on Instagram, these guys, you know, I've said it many, many times before, they are so good with bringing the stories from the tour. And so much happens on the European tour. It really is a great thing. And they're doing wonders for the sport. That wraps it up for the Bounce Show. I'm off to go play golf. I'm playing in the Sunshine Tour Media Day. So today, it's, it's probably my favorite golfing day of the year. You get to go play head-to-head against a pro. So today, I'm playing against Jean Hugo who has been someone who's been around this, the European tour, obviously the Sunshine Tour, for quite some time. He was a prolific youngster. Maybe didn't kick on to his true potential, which I might remind him of today if the game is tight going down the last few holes. But I'll be making a video about that. I'm taking all my gadgets with me, which will no doubt be hugely annoying to him while I'm flying a drone and other things. But it's going to be good content. So I'm off to go do that now. Thank you for joining me. Next week, I've got an ex-Springbok who will be joining me in studio talking about essay versus all blacks match and the reason he is going to be in the studio is because he made his debut when the box also scored zero 
but back in those days, the score wasn't quite as bad as 57. And, uh, yeah, a very interesting guy, someone I've known for quite some time. It's going to be a great interview. I hope you can join me back then. Otherwise, catch me at thebounce.ca.za for all your usual stuff. You can read this week's sports data. Otherwise, on Twitter, at Follow the Bounce. YouTube, Follow the Bounce as well. And Instagram, The Bounce. Otherwise, catch me daily here at cliffcentral.com on the Gareth Cliff Morning Show. Just after 6.30, you can get my daily sporting routines. And that pretty much wraps it up. Thanks for joining me. And uh, have a great sporting weekend. And watch lots of golf. It's going to be very interesting. If nothing else, it'll be entertaining, even if it isn't going to be the closest off contest. Ciao. So catch you next week. This is cliffcentral.com.